Okay. I started pastoring at 21. The first church that I pastored was called the Pilgrim Rest Missionary Baptist Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Five members all over the age of 72. Wow. I was 21. They were 72. One member was 85. And uh, here I am leading this group of seasoned saints, as they like to be called. Sure. And in college, playing basketball on a full-ride scholarship, that church grows from 500 to 600 before I hit 24. And hmm. I was so insecure because there was another pastor named Pastor Jordan. He had 3,000 members. There was another pastor, Pastor uh, Cedric Walker. He was... He was doing his thing. I could just think of all of these different pastors that were doing things. Uh, the Union Church, uh, Pastor Whitfield. I, I can just, I can still see myself there. And I had no idea that at that time, our church was the third largest church in a small town that only had 5,000 African-Americans. So here I am with 600 of the 5,000, thinking that our ministry is insignificant because I'm looking in Dallas at a Bishop T.D. Jakes who has mega church, thousands upon thousands, measuring myself to him. What I didn't take into consideration is at the time that I'm 24, he's 44, right? And, and, and he's been uh, doing ministry, he's on television. And so as I unpack it uh, and make it relevant to the viewers, you can never judge your chapter one, just opposed to somebody else's chapter 40. So good. You have to you have to be okay with where you are in the journey because it is only by being okay with where you are that you will have the sensibilities, characters, and 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 mental structure to be able to handle where you're going. Uh, you have to make it big where you are before you can make it big where you're going. Yeah, and actually, a lot of our wilderness experiences and preparations custom tailor made, isn't it? I mean. If we were to look at Moses's journey, just, just like the snapshot of it, you think God was so not involved in that at first sight. Killing an Egyptian, brought up, born in Israelite, ends up in Pharaoh's palace, ends up in Midian, the wilderness. And then you think to yourself, who better to lead the Israelites out of Egypt into a wilderness than someone that experienced that in a micro on a macro scale like so everyone always looks at the snapshot when in fact god's actually weaving something behind the scenes isn't it? yeah because you know the way we view photography in 2021 is different than photography would have been viewed in say 1950 just 70 years ago so today you take out your phone you take a snapshot it captures a moment in time. It's in your photo album right now. You go and look at your beautiful little girl and you get to see her matriculate from season to season, age to age. But see, 50, 60, 70 years ago, pictures had to be taken. Yeah. But then they had to be developed in the dark. And see, in our day and time, we snap it, it's taken, it's developed, and it's stored in a second. Yeah. Yeah. When our parents were taking pictures, picture was taken, film was taken into a dark room, dipped in water, hung on a line, dried during the process, and then they came back hours later, and then they got an opportunity to see what they captured. So technology 
has crippled us because we think that life works the way technology does and we don't capture store and view destiny in a moment it is developed in darkness it's developed um in in frustration it's developed in anxiety it's developed uh in insecurity it's developed david yes i'm going to make you king snapshot then i'm going to send you back to the field to develop and you think that because you have oil that your first assignment is going to be to sit on the throne no the first assignment you're going to have after you've been anointed is to play the harp for a man who's having a psychotic episode it, it doesn't always look like what it is can you can you learn to tend sheep like a king with the anointing's ability but the shepherd's responsibility uh, I, nothing else could be said better and and sometimes you look at the field and you have to understand that the field isn't containment it's actually a container david was being protected for something yeah right it wasn't divine restriction it was divine protection it was protection it was it was like putting the fine china in in the cupboard uh to be displayed when company comes over right there there are some things in your home that are so valuable that you don't bring them out until special guests come over that's anything that's used um, um, extensively um, doesn't have much value. Uh, it can be discarded, but but they that wait on the Lord. And that doesn't just mean waiting for him to do something for you. That also means sometimes you have to wait on him to do something with you. Whew. Yeah, and you know, what, you know what, Pastor, what I'm slowly learning at 34 as I take incremental steps in, in growth and influence? the spotlight can become interrogation lamp very, very quickly. Wow. You know what I mean by that? So like, yeah. I thank God for the moments that I've been in the dark to learn some lessons. There are some sermons I've preached that I'm so glad people haven't been able to see because I was incubated in that isolation. Yeah. So, so look at Joseph. Yeah. Developed in the dark. So he, he was he was in the pit. Let's let's look at Gideon in a wine press, developed in the dark. The Bible says that Samson had his hair cut. We go back and read Judges chapter 16. I think it's around verse 20 through verse 30. Hmm. The Bible says, and I missed this for many years, that his hair grew back. We all know that. Yeah. But if we go back and read it, it says, and his hair grew back in the dark. It, it, did, it grew back in the dark when he was at his lowest point. Yeah. When he was in his darkest space, that's when his hair began to grow back. Um, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that scales came on his eyes and he was blinded. Look at how he goes from murderer to preacher in darkness. It is the dark place. That is also the development place. The yeah. problem with us, most of us are not nocturnal. We're so afraid of the dark. We're always trying to find the light. And we don't understand that the light is the place of exposure, but the darkness is the place of development. So oh, that is gold. So when we look at the Israelites' journey, Exodus 13 to 17 through 18, they escape out of the front doors of Egypt. They think they're going straight to Canaan land, picture of their promised potential. But God takes them around by the desert road, though the other way was shorter. 
what part have you analysed God play in your journey in the delayed seasons of your life, which you could have interpreted as denials, but, but you've chosen to think, right, I'm being developed. The only way this could be prolonged is if I don't learn the lessons along the way. I mean, which ones, Rob? I, I oh my God. I, I, my first one I think about is when I um, moved from the church that I just described to you, yeah. Uh, and resigned from there and moved to Houston, Texas. And I get to Houston, Texas, and I thought that this was my promised land. Yeah. I, I, when I first got here, I thought it was the promised land. I didn't know I had nine months of wilderness that was scheduled on this move. I, I had no idea that I had nine months of stress attached to this move. I didn't know that I had nine months of rejection yeah. that was attached to this move because all of the promises and all of the, the prayers of the righteous and, and the prompting of my pastor and my mother, go, go, go. It's, it's a bustling city. It's different than where you came from. Uh, African-Americans can scale there. It, it was so many things that were promised to me, but nobody told me that I would have to get my car off um, a moving truck with all of my belongings inside of the car with a one-way plane ticket and go and get my car out of the parking lot of a grocery store and have to drive around town just to find a place to stay. Nobody told me that I would be without mentorship or without friendship and be lonely. Nobody told me that I would be fired from my appointment. Nobody told me that I would be ostracized. Nobody told me that it would be dark. But everything that I am able to bless God for now was developed in that nine months. And you know, it's about the same amount of time that you and I spent inside of our mother's wombs in darkness. True. It takes about nine months of darkness for a baby to cry for the first time, to, to open his eyes for the first time, to hear its own voice for the first time. There is an incubation period of darkness uh, that is necessary. I often say, God, Velcros are smuggles a deliverance into every dilemma that <laughs> that that if we are patient we'll be able to see i love that i love that i i don't know if i i don't think i've shared this with you pastor kieran before but uh some of our viewers will be aware of it i maybe six years ago i, I left um my denomination just really sensed that i was being called out and uh we as part of our role as pastors at this mega church we were given a house we were in the middle of central london you know it was everything wow. And we just announced we were leaving, um, left my salary, left every every form of certainty. And I assumed because God called me, there would be an immediate um, honoring of that decision when in fact it took nine months. We moved into my mother-in-law's spare bedroom after having this amazing place just, just to follow God's call. And I realized, I think Dr. Darius Daniels, a mutual friend of ours, talks about the God gap where he uses that season between um, process and promise to fill it with competency, character and conditioning. My question is this, can you talk about how you've used that gap to develop those three areas, your competency, your character and your conditioning against pressure? Because you're a masterful communicator. I think a lot of people would watch you and think he's just charismatic. He's just gifted. He's just a great leader. But you must have honed those skills in the dark to be what you are in the light. Yeah. So the God gap, I love the idea. Um, I 
my God gap uh, wouldn't have anything to do with ministry. My, my God gap precedes my call into ministry. I'm, I am the son of a pastor who had a successful church in the city that I grew up in. Yeah. He and my mother had myself and my sister. They were not married. He was separated from his wife at the time that my sister and I was born. After my sister and I had become uh, respectfully one and two years old, he and his wife decide to reconcile. The relationship ends with his, with my mother and him. He goes back to being with his uh, previous wife, who, by the way, he already has children with. So now I am um, a fatherless son while I am still a member of his church. Yeah. So I look at him every Sunday. I know he's my father biologically, but he can't act on that responsibility because of the family circumstance and situation he's in. It's, 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 a, it's a total mirage, yet a collage of a mess and anxiety and rejection and frustration. But somehow, Rob, I still loved him, respected him, yeah. and honored him in spite of what I felt inside. I had no idea that one of the greatest things that a pastor must do is be effective at loving even when he's scarred, effective at communicating even when he's confused, effective at compassion mm. even when he feels disposed. And so my God gap was my, my childhood of how I learned to be me in spite of how you treated me. Yeah. It's, it's my strength. I, I'm, I'm often told that I'm optimistic in that. Uh, that that I that I'm able to see this uh, this rose uh, this rosy picturesque um, uh, backdrop in most circumstances, and I'm not perfect at it. Uh, it's it's not um, a divine gift. It is a skill that was honed in the dark. Yeah, it's a skill that is the result of surviving my life. And if I could say anything to anybody watching. If you never become a theologian, if you never become wealthy, if your church never grows beyond 15 people, you must survive. If, if, if you never get out of debt, if, if you never get the answers you're looking for, you must survive. If you're thrown in a pit, you gotta survive it. If you go from there to Potiphar's house, you must survive that. If you're thrown in prison, you must survive that because they that wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. There is, um, Pastor YPJ uh, is a pastor in um, South Bend, Indiana. He's a brilliant thinker. And he recently preached for Bishop Dale Bronner uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And on his stage, he has an example. He had three people, listen to this, Rob. He had three people, three men standing in a single file line. So there's a man here, there's a man here, and there's a man behind him. He's standing on the edge of the stage. He says, now, this guy here represents a Bentley. This guy here represents a BMW. This guy here represents a car that won't even start up. 
and I am now holding a bus pass. So he says, bus pass, beater, BMW, Bentley. Yeah. Then he says, every time I say I have faith or something, I don't know the exact statement, but he said, every time I say I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, I want everything to step closer to me. So he says, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ. The man who represented the Bentley, he took a step. The man who represented the BMW, he took a step. The man who represented the beater, he took a step. And he kept doing that. And eventually the man who represented the beater, the bad car, was right in front of him. And he says, now, if you don't understand that all things are working together for your good, then you will get the beater and you will be upset with God because you'll say, this isn't what I prayed for. But what you don't understand is that the Bentley and the BMW have also got close. And if you continue to say, in the name of Jesus, I believe, one day the beater will be behind you and now the BMW will be closer. And if you keep believing, then one day the BMW will be behind you and the Bentley will be right in front of you. But if you get upset with the first thing you receive, yes, yes, then you will believe that God is not in the business of what you're praying for. But while the thing that you are not praying for has gotten closer, so is the thing that you are praying for is getting closer. And you have to be patient and know that all things are working together for your good. And now I'm 40 years old. My father is in heaven. I'm a father myself. And I, I am fathering when I went through a season where I was seeking to be fathered. I am what I didn't have. And that's a word for somebody, that if you will be patient, you will eventually become what you, what you never had, what you never saw, what you never experienced. That is beautiful. And you once said to me, I, I, oh my goodness, I remember where I was when you, you sent it as an audio message. I had to stop still and repeat it. You said, Rob, greater is sometimes later. Yes. Yes. And, and I think a lot of people, social media, as amazing as it is, and it, it's helping us enhance, spread the gospel, grow our ministries and businesses, but there's an aspect of us thinking in days and not in decades. We're not thinking in terms of the future. Can you just speak into that a little bit? Because I, I can be guilty of this sometimes. I can look at my social media feed on a Sunday evening after preaching somewhere, and it can almost, if I don't catch it, and discern it's an attack from the enemy, it can almost rob me of that moment where God's used me with others because I'm focused on someone else. Like, it's dangerous. It can be dangerous if we don't catch it. Yeah, it can be dangerous so much so that the God of the universe who created time took 33 years to be successful. I mean, if, if, if you don't understand that time is a part of the process, um, that, that it would be frustrating. Charles Spurgeon saying, if I have 25 years left to live, I would spend 20 in preparation. God always, listen, everybody, God always, through whatever circumstance and situation, he always puts the quality in before he allows the name to go out. And it can be years and years and years and years of waiting. Yes. But they that wait. Now, when we say they that wait on the Lord, the imagery that must be assumed is not waiting like I'm, I'm waiting on God. Passive. The imagery is actually that of a waiter at a restaurant. That's One that is running around doing things until it is time to close out the tab. Mm -hmm. 
one that is serving until it's time to receive the tip. So while I'm waiting on God, I'm going to make sure that my service is worthy of what I'm asking him to leave me. Yeah. That he's not going to have to ask me to pray. He's not going to ask me to fast. He's not going to have to ask me to worship. He's not going to ask me to praise. I'm going to be doing all of those things. That's my reasonable service. Understanding that once he compensates me for this waiting, that I'll have everything that I need in order to get the job done. That's the kind of waiting we have to do. Not passive, just, oh, I'm just waiting on God. No, the kind of waiting that says, I am anointed king. Yeah. What I am going to do in the meantime, before I get my throne, I'm going to go confront this giant. Mm. Then I'm going to be okay with being named king of Judah before I am ever king of Israel. Incremental. Because sometimes he'll give you a portion of your kingdom before he gives you the whole thing. What yeah. will you do with Judah before you get Israel? Oh, because we're so focused on the immediate ascent. Actually, we get the skills along the way in incremental development. It's like, it's like a computer game, isn't it? Like if you skip levels, you're never going to have the tools you need to defeat the enemy when you when you get there. I, I think there's something about timing, isn't there? Like. We've got to cooperate with the now instead of be focused on what's next. Yeah, now is the only way to live. Um, for all your readers, there's a book by uh, an author called Eckhart Tolle. Uh, the, the name of the book is The Power of Now. Mm. One of the best books I've ever read in my life. Right now, you and I have all kinds of insecurities that have come through our life over the last 30 four years for you, 40 for me. Um, all kinds of frustrations, all kinds of bumps and bruises. But right now, at this very moment, neither one of us are hurting. Why? Because pain never exists in the present. In order for you to hurt, you're gonna either have to go back and think about what you didn't receive or start forecasting to what you haven't received yet. And if you live your life in the past and in the future, you can stay frustrated. Yeah. But anybody watching us, if you would get into the now, all frustration would leave. If you got into now, all insecurity would dissipate. Why? There is no pain in now. There is no anxiety in now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith doesn't even work until it's now. You have to always be in the present. And let me tell you about the present. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift, which is why we call it the present. So true. And the way we approach it, you know, I think it's a John Wooden quote. He mentored John Maxwell for many years. When opportunity comes, it's too late to prepare. And um, from my own personal experience, the only reason I have a weekly show that's broadcast across continents is because I prepared a talk on the book of Nehemiah chapter two for 17 people in the middle of a, a little local Anglican church. And it just so happened at the back of the room was the director of TBN Europe, right? And the principle is this, if I'd have just shown up, 
thinking there's like a group of people that I'm never going to see again. I, I'm destined for greater things than this. I would never have prepped to the extent and to the level that when I did communicate, the person at the back who had the influence saw something that he wouldn't have seen if I hadn't turned up prepared. And I think we can translate that principle to our viewers. Like, what are you doing right? Are you fully present in where God's placed you right now? Or are you so focused on what's next? You're letting the opportunities today pass you by. Have you had moments like that? I've had moments just like that. I've had moments just like that. Uh, if I'm honest, um, I have to discipline myself not to have moments like that now because at 40, you start thinking, man, I may only be able to do this for 10, 15, 20 more years. Wow. And, and you start thinking about being irrelevant and you start thinking about, um, you know, there are, uh, there's some young person in the lab right now working out a master plan that's going to come blazing on the scene and everybody in the country is going to be set ablaze by that fruition. So I have to recognize, and this is for all of the people who are listening, you should never be dissuaded by what's next because there are people being born every day. Yeah. But there are also people who are aging every day. And life has a tendency to surround you. And there was enough, there was enough to carry the style, the age, the perception of who you are. Yes. Until your last breath. There, there are enough people who love it the way you give it, Rob. There, there are enough people who have the vibration and rhythm of your voice and won't even hear mine. Yeah. He, he uniquely made you the height, the size, the color, the texture, the character, the personality. Somebody will look at Rob Wall and say, my God, he's the greatest I've ever heard. That same person will look at me and say, he's okay. And that's fine because our differences yes. are the only things that make us valuable. Um, I remember one day I went into a soup place and uh, the guy had fabric and um, he was showing me the colors of the fabric. And I'm looking, I said, oh, I like that fabric. He said, let me show you another fabric. And then when he got there he said, now this one here, this is the one you want. He told me, but this one here is a few more dollars per yard. I thought to myself, why would I pay him more for something that looks exactly like what was less expensive? This is what he did, Rob. He took the fabric, he put it in my hand. He said, feel the difference. And it was like an explosion went off in my head. He said, people don't pay for similarity they pay for difference. And the reason why many of us are not able to get where God wants us to be is we're too busy trying to feel similar to something else. It is being different. It is being different that makes you valuable. Yeah, and, and we live in a culture that, culture that verbally celebrates distinctness or distinctiveness, but actually visibly persecutes people that step out and try to pioneer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think this world um, is a lot different than the one that you and I grew up in. Um, but but as we talk about this, this development in the dark, 
there are so many characters that we could go and grab from scripture to let people know that that is actually God's way of doing it. Isaac was in the dark the entire time about what Abraham was doing, taking him up to the mountain. Yeah. He had no clue. He had no clue. Dad, where are we going? Oh, we're going up yonder to sacrifice. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're going up there, but, um, and, and I've been up there with you before. I don't see where, where is the sacrifice. So don't worry about it. The Lord will provide. Both Abraham and Isaac are both in the dark about what God's getting ready to do. And by the way, there is a ram in the dark waiting on them. So everybody in the whole text is in the dark. The ram is in the bush. He's in the dark. He doesn't know why he's stuck. The father is taking his son up to sacrifice. He doesn't know why God hasn't provided. Isaac is going up out of pure faith. He doesn't know why. And when they get to the place where Abraham is about to stab his son, here comes light. Abraham, stay your hand. I wanted to see what you were going to do. Isaac, you were faithful because you were faithful. Ram, come be the sacrifice. And look at God working all things out. Yeah. Wow, all three characters in the story were in the dark for the majority of the story. I love that. How can you have faith if you have light? That's a great question. Because he, he is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So how, how can it be faith if I can see? Exactly. How can it be a miracle if I know where the wine is coming from when it runs out? Mm. And do you, do you think, I, I mean, I, I talked about character competency conditioning. Let, let's talk about the conditioning side of things for a moment. Do you feel that the preparation in the dark that you received has enabled and conditioned you to cope with the weighty pressures that come with influence? So, so we talked a little bit about um, how to handle the burden of, of being a person of influence, but now where you are, as you're surrounded by excellent people everywhere you go. So you preach on Sunday, but I know you're friends with a lot of great preachers that are knocking it out of the park on Sunday. Have you felt the conditioning you've received stops comparison, stops envy, allows you to celebrate others? Because I think a lot of the time when we're in the dark and in anonymity, we're thinking, oh, if only I had that position of influence, but actually it would, it would crush you if you received it too early. Yeah, absolutely. That is one thing uh, that I thank God for having Bishop Jakes as a mentor. Yes. I mean, you're talking about one of the most weighty ministries that the globe has ever seen and will ever see. Yes. Now you take that where I have a personal relationship with him where I can I talk to him on the phone just about every day. I'm looking at his ministry. I get to visit his church and walk around hundreds of thousands of square feet, thousands and thousands of people. Uh, he makes movies, television shows, sells millions of books, owns millions of acres, close this deal, close that deal, this, 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 that, and that. And when I first met him, I would leave all of that and come back to my 1100 square foot apartment. I would leave all of that and come back to a church that doesn't even have a building. Yeah. And be sitting in the janitor's closet with the garbage cans as an office. Mm -hmm. 
I will go preach for him on a stage with 10,000 people in the room. That's it. And then come back to the Lighthouse Church that's three years old, meeting in the school in an auditorium of 396 people. What, what do you do with that? I recognized something very quickly. I hope there's an emoji on the iPhone yeah. that has a head and it's explode. I hope to see, yeah, yeah. I hope to see dust come from all of the viewers' head when I say this. I realized something that was, is if I have any secret sauce, yeah. if I've got any um, advantage that has helped us to get here, it is this. Mm -hmm. The Lord showed me that he never exposes you to anything that he doesn't intend for you to be. Listen to me. We need a praise break just there. <laughs> yeah, you, yes, because God doesn't show you things to say, nah, 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 you're never going to get that. He's trying to inspire and encourage and impart something to you to say, you're next. You've come too far to go back. He never wastes a preview on something that isn't great. Because God knows the end from the beginning. Yeah. He's not living life moment by moment like you and I. So if all things are intertwined and are working for my good, then I realized he wouldn't show me this if I couldn't do this. That's it. So I understood that these invitations were actually reflections of what I would one day see. And what you're going to walk into in, a, in another season. And so then I started seeking success. I started looking for people to congratulate. Yes. I started looking for people to celebrate because I knew that everything that I saw and celebrated, I could do. So I've got tons of friends who, as you say, are knocking it out of the park every day. And every time I see that ball go over the fence, I think I got another home run coming. That's so, so instead of being envious, yes. I'm being observant. Whew. The reason why most people miss it is because they get around greatness and become insecure instead of becoming observant. Just look and see what is going on and know that if a man did it before, it can be repeated. Okay, so let's get really granular with that part because, because what do you do if someone like yourself has... And it's amazing we're talking about this. I remember I had this conversation with my mentor, John Maxwell, several months ago. I was like, the Lord's blowing things up, um, not, not in a global sense, but he's blowing things up in a way that I would never have previously been privy to. And the, the, the tension I was feeling, and there's a question in this, was I feel like I've grown so much, not in an arrogant way, but I've seen too much for me to remain... Um, content on the level I was, which means some relationships that I used to feel a flow in now feel like they're essentially flopping. So so how do you get exposed to something like Bishop Jake's ministry whilst going back to the environment you're in, yet you've grown internally, but externally you're not manifesting what you've you've seen God say it's on the way, Pastor Keo. This is this is this is the dilemma that Moses had 
when he went up to the mountain. Yeah. And the Bible says Moses goes up to the mountain and he sees the glory of the Lord. He comes down from the mountain. And the children of Israel are dancing naked around fatted calves. Now he just saw the glory. They're worshiping idols. And he comes back and he is frustrated with this group of people that he's been walking with all of these years. Yeah. First thing I recognized is that I needed to stop going to witness all of this greatness by myself. And I'm not, I needed to start to take people with me so yeah. that they could witness what I witnessed, have the experience that I had. Because for too many years, I would go alone to the conference and then come back and they would be dancing naked around fatty calves. So what I started doing is I started getting all of our leaders, all of our deacons, volunteers. And when I would go to these churches, when we didn't have the money, they would do it. When we got the money, the church started doing it. And I started taking people with me. I went, I took 25 of our leaders to Elevation Church three times in the same year. Yeah. To see Stephen Furtick's operation, which to me is one of the most well-oiled machines in all of the kingdom. Agreed. Phenomenal. Um, Phenomenal. One year, I took 200 members of our church, two pastors and leaders conference with Bishop T.D. Jakes. Yeah. So then Peter, James, and John now can go to the Mountain of Transfiguration with me and come back and tell the other disciples what they saw. Not only does it help them to tell them what they saw, but especially if you're a leader, you have to take people with you to the mountain so that they can come back and tell the other people not only what they saw, but who you are. That is so good. How do you discern, I'm speaking to leaders now, how do you discern whether the people you're putting in the room are ready or whether they're going to grow into it? Because when Peter was exposed to Jesus, Moses and, Moses and Elijah, his response was to build tents. Like, how, yeah. how, and yes, of course, he went on and upon the rock, the church was built. But, but how do you discern as a leader whether someone's ready? Or are you less concerned about, and, about that and just think, I need them in the room to, to see this, and then I'll know by the yeah. way. You know, you're watching uh, methodically their service, yeah. what they're doing. So when Jesus invites Peter, he is fully aware that Peter is not completely ready, but Peter has what it takes to preach Pentecost. You must always expose potential, and potential will make the decision of whether it wants to be a success or a flop. You still have to expose them. Exposure is the way that you discover if they have what is necessary to, to, to take it to the next level. Mm. What part yeah. do you... Sorry, do you finish? No, no, go ahead. Okay, so, so experience and exposure has a huge part to play on it. I, I know from your story, your experience you've just shared with me and a bit of my story and other people that, that we know, everyone that's got an incredible anointing and it's now in the light really was pruned in the darkness. Do, do you think it's a prerequisite for those that are used mightily to have to go through intense amounts of pain and suffering? Do, 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 there's, there's no other way. For the anointing to be released, there has to be the, the trampling of the grapes. There's no other way. You, you don't get the oil from the alabaster box unless it's broken. You just, you, you, you have to be. 
You have to be. I don't know any person, and you and I know a lot of people. I don't know anybody who was greatly used that wasn't first greatly wounded. It's true. I don't, I don't know of one. And there may be somebody. I'm not, I'm not saying that there. I know of no one uh, that hasn't had to walk through his or her valley of the shadow of death. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't have a thorn in the flesh as a messenger of Satan to buffer me lest I be exalted above measure. Yeah. I, I don't know of anyone who didn't start out with a withered hand before they were made whole. I don't know anyone who laid on the who didn't lay on the bed for 38 years before they could carry it. Mm. I don't I don't know I don't know anyone um, who wasn't blind and 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 stood by sat by the gate called beautiful, uh, but somehow knew that they were in the presence of the son of David until they could receive their sight. I don't I don't know anybody save no one that didn't have to be crucified before they could be resurrected. Mm-hmm. It is okay. the suffering yeah. with Jesus Christ that makes us suitable for salvation, right? And, and, and the Bible says that there will be placed on us an eternal weight of glory. It, it is a weighty thing. Yeah. As we said earlier, it is incumbent that you survive. You must survive. Whatever the story you are telling yourself that has the potential to take you off track, you must survive. It is going to build enough character and faith because being up is a lot harder than being down. Unpack that. That's gold. That is such gold. Most people think that being down is the hard part of life. I can't pay my bills. That's hard. I I don't know who my biological parents are. That's hard. I don't know. um, I don't know if I'm going to make it. That's hard. And it is because I've been all of that. My life has become more difficult. The higher up that God has allowed me to ascend. Up is a lot harder than down because when you're down, you don't have, and so you become accustomed to it. Yeah. But imagine you fly to New York City and you're walking in Central Park. Isn't it amazing that the bag woman, um, and I'm talking about the woman from depicted in Home Alone 2, oh, lost yeah. in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the bag woman with the big garment on and and the pigeons on her shoulder and you know she can walk through Central Park, nobody bothers her. Let a business businessman with the Rolex, three piece suit, two thousand dollar briefcase, nice hair, great trench overcoat, walk through the same park. He has to worry about being robbed. Why? Because when you're up, you become a target. When you're down, you become you become a charity case. People love to help that which is down and shoot at that which is up. And when you get up, you become a target. The devil is not thinking about you when you're down. 
Yeah, so do you find as a pastor that's built a church that's growing and all your business ventures, everything as that's growing, do you find your spiritual warfare has increased and at every stage you've had to learn a new kind of weapon to wield? No doubt about it. I went, I, I went from praying just out of what came to my head to yeah. now having to recite the scripture as I'm praying. Like I've got I've to memorize hundreds of scriptures because it's the only thing the devil respects. When Jesus was being tempted by the devil um, and he says, turn these stones into bread, Jesus could have said, you know what? I bind you in the name of Jesus. He said, no, for it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So you have to, I, I have to become more adept in the word of God in order to be able to fight the devils on my level. Um, it becomes more difficult as the time goes on to make sure that you study to show yourself and prove that you might be able to write by the word of truth. You need a sword at some level. Some, some levels, all you need is a word. Then that word has to become a double-edged sword. Um, so the higher you up, up is a lot harder than down. Do you think there's a level at which God chooses people that can't see the greatness in themselves? He always does. Because, it always does because seeing it, seeing it in yourself, um, I think it's a prohibitor from being able to be humble enough for God to show you. If, if you see it, then you don't need to be shown. So how do you walk in a room with the likes of Bishop Jakes into whether it's Project Gideon or, or an event like that, or simply going in to preach? How do you hold that tension of, wow it's only by the grace of god i'm here and having the confidence and courage that i'm anointed to do this yeah i'm never i'm never in competition with anybody who invites me into their room mm. he, he's supposed to be big in that room he created that room so if you ever get into the place where you feel insecure about walking into other people's rooms create a room that you're big in and they'll be small when they walk into it. Mm -hmm. So you have to create your own space. Um, Bishop Jakes is a mammoth figure, yeah. but when he comes to 6650 rank and roll, the room that God used me to build, they don't take my face off of the picture and put his up. <laughs> yeah. So he has to fit his gift into the room that I built. So if you, if you see yourself only going into rooms that other people created, you're only doing half of your job. The other half of your job is to create rooms that other people can walk in. Reciprocal. Recipro yeah. I love that. Okay. A couple more questions then, then um, I'll let you go. This is amazing. Uh, how have you surrounded yourself with growth minded individuals? Because I can imagine it, this time in your life, the people you surround yourself with is just as important as what you say to yourself. Yeah, I think you can, you can, you can teach what you know, but you can only duplicate who you are. Yeah. Um, the Bible says seed begets after his own kind. If you look at the people who are around you and you are dissatisfied, then you have to start with you because you attract what you are. So it, I, I am able to receive high thinkers because I've 
fashioned myself into one. I became, and then I got surrounded by it, which is why I'm always becoming. I read 10 pages of a book every single day, mm. every day of my life. Wow. Because I understand that if I will run out of things to say, if I don't read, which allows me to borrow the perspective of somebody I don't know. And that that's amazing. Just on that, because we get loads of preachers and pastors commenting on on this show. Uh, is there an extra weight to make sure that you're, I know there's no copyright in the kingdom, but is there is there a weightiness that everything I produce every week has to be you or a fresh insight or a fresh angle on scripture? Or are you less fussed about that? Because I, I sometimes think, gosh, I can't repeat what that pastor said, not because I'm trying to plagiarize, but it's landed in my spirit. I could so easily own it for myself, but I didn't come up with it. How, how do you carry that? Yeah, so I, um, I hear a lot of things that I want to repeat, but I think that what happens is, is that we don't recognize that there's an incubation time that must take place between the information that I receive and the time that I serve it again. I hear it on Monday. I take a note on a sheet of paper. It may be six or seven months before I repeat it because by the time I repeat it, it would have metamorphosized into something that is more um, congruent with my spirit and my spin. And so I pride myself in making sure that after I read your book, and put my series together that nobody is able to trace the information back to the original source. Um, so, so I think that we have to hold on to things longer before we share them to give them time to go from cocoon to butterfly. And to discern whether the revelation is just for you and for your growth or whether it's actually shipped off and expanded further. I tell all of our pastors at our church, everything that God gives you in preparation is not designed for you to give in presentation. That's gold. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so as we come into land, Pastor Keir, we, we've covered a lot of bases. But if you were to chat to someone listening to this, they're in anonymity, they're in obscurity. They're in the dark room right now. They've heard, all right, God does his greatest work in the light. But right now, no opportunities, no divine relationships. I'm just feeling stuck, stagnant. What do I do? Uh, what, what would your final bit of advice and wisdom be to them today as they, as they journey towards the end of 2021 into 2022? I would say, and I just heard Bishop Jake's preach a sermon uh, Sunday called The Inflection Point. Mm. I would say read. Judges chapter 16, verses 20 through 30. And I will say, read the latter part of Samson's story where the Bible says that his hair was cut and it grew in the dark. Let's get past that. I love it. But he goes and he tells the young man to put his hands on the pillars. Yeah. And here, Samson is so strong that on one occasion, he killed a thousand men with just the jawbone of a donkey. And he's, he's ripped men from limb to limb. But the Bible says that when he was at the end of his life, how he, when he was blinded and he put his hands on the pillars, the Bible said that he killed more people at the end of his life with that one action than he did 
in all of his life prior to when he was a warrior. Mm. Your biggest successes won't come when you feel like a warrior. Your biggest successes are actually happening when you feel blind, bald, useless, frustrated, and you continue to push even when you feel like you're at the end. And if you push at the end, you will conquer more demons, insecurities, mm. devils, obstacles. At your weakest is when he's made strong. Perhaps you're too strong. Perhaps you're too strong. Wow, what a what a note to end on. Pastor, how can we continue to follow your ministry? I mean, your the sermons you're you're coming up with at the moment is just every week you're knocking it out the park. I recommend everyone goes across to YouTube, type in lighthouse family church and and listen to pastor Kian's sermons but pastor where point us in the right direction where can we find you what's coming up yeah you can um, obviously um on our instagram it's at pastor keon that's k-e-i-o-n um our youtube page uh, you can subscribe to that uh, the lighthouse church um and what i'm doing now i am getting ready to start a series at the top of the year I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, mm -hmm. uh, but, and I've got the book here. I got this book. So we get people to send me books all the time. We read this book and if you'll post it and all that. I, I got this book. Somebody sent it to the church and I went and looked the pastor up on Instagram. He only has about 140 followers. Amazing. Um, I, I direct messaged him um, and I'd have to check to see if he got it to let him know that this is one of the best books I have read. Never underestimate what God can do through a vessel you may not be familiar with. Yeah. I read the book and he starts off with this quote that says, and listen to this. He says, um, and it's a Mark Twain quote. Let me find it. I'm sorry for the viewers. I'm gonna hurry up and get to it. He says, man, is like the moon and has a dark side, which he never shows. And he talks about how we have only seen 59% of the moon, but 41% of it has been hidden from, from human view. Yeah, wow. And he goes into this idea of every person on the earth, you have only met 59% of the people you know. And there is 41% that's in the dark. And I'm gonna be preaching at the top of the year to that 41%. Nice. That, that hidden part, dark side of you that nobody's ever met. I want the 59 to turn around and confront the 41 yes. so that we can just stop being healed and be made whole. My goodness. Okay. All of this is going on the lower thirds here, guys. You can see it now. Check check out Pastor Keown. Um, thank you, as always, for your time, sir. Uh, I know you're very busy leading up to Christmas, but I love chatting with you. This has been gold anointed. There, there's really nuggets of wisdom here. So, so just thank you for you, and I hope you have an amazing Christmas and New Year. I appreciate you, and I can't wait. Let me say to all the audience, Rob is going to be coming to America in March. 
Yes, I am. He's going to be, he's going to be speaking at the Lighthouse Church, so uh, we'll keep you informed and abreast on that. I can't wait to see you in person. Amazing. Bless you, sir. Love you, brother.